Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. There's going to be a side that's offended. Offended is a key word here. Like nobody's going to understand you. There's going to be somebody out there and it could be some idiot and it doesn't matter what they think. But, but the reality is there's somebody out there who thinks you're a traitor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Chump Chat. It's your boy, Johan Gomez, alongside my co-host, Tanner Tessman. And today we have, I guess, another co-host, I guess, for this episode, co-host of Football Americas and former USMNT player, Hercules Gomez. Welcome to the podcast. What's up, boys? Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. It's, it's been a pleasure. I mean, we, we got it linked up pretty quick, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. I think uh, me and Tan were talking before you got on about your interesting career path. And first of all, I wanted to ask you, because I'm a Cruz Azul fan, Oh. And I saw that you <laughs> somehow made your way into the youth of Cruz Azul, which is awesome. How yeah. did that come about? You know, what's funny is like, man, I, I've been around forever. So I'm, I just turned 40 this year. That's how old I am. And it's, and I remember when I was your guys' age and, and guys were like in their early thirties, I was like, damn, these guys, are, these guys are old. Like these guys are grandpas, you know, I'm playing with these guys and they're grown men. And now I'm like one of those guys, you know, retired. Uh, but I remember back then, um, I was, or my generation was the first like IMG Bradenton Academy, Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley, Guchan Weiyu, Kyle Beckerman, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And some guys you guys probably never heard of, uh, but that was the first kind of like academy program here in the States that would, that would mimic anything close to a professional setup. I wasn't good enough for that one. You know, I grew up in Southern Nevada and in Southern Nevada, I, playing club soccer. I was 13, 14 years old and I was playing already like U17s, you know, because there's not enough teams, not enough players out there. So, you know, you do what you can. Um, and that's kind of like the football that I was, I was accustomed to. And I played men's league on my father's team. I played club soccer and we had a good club soccer team, but I was heavily drafted. I wasn't even paid attention to by like local colleges out in Vegas. Um, and when I, you know, was about 17 turning 18, the possibility of uh, going to a tryout in uh, Pachuca came about. And Pachuca was like on the up. They're not what they are now. Trust me, I play for that club and that club has got one of the best training facilities in the world. It's massive. It's insane. It's a, it's like a educational program along with the, with the sporting kind of element to it. It's, 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 I can't even understate how incredible this program they have is, but back then it was like this warehouse and alongside every both sides of the warehouse, they had like 12 bunk beds, you know, on one side, 12 bunk beds on the other, a shed of sour, uh, showers, excuse me, and like a little cafeteria. And that's where the second division team and third division team would train. And that's where they would live, like their Casa Club. And I went and did a tryout and I was there for about two weeks and I was trying out for the third division team. And nothing came about it. You know, they were like, hey, you know, you're decent, but we're not going to fill a foreign spot with you. I didn't have my Mexican passport at the time. And it was like the first time I'd ever really been to Mexico. It was a culture shock. Everything was strange. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Pachuca Hidalgo, but it's not exactly like a metropolis. It's not exactly like a modernized city, and especially back then. Um, everything they have today is because of that soccer team. Uh, but there was a scout there. There was this guy who was there and there was some, a game we played. It was like a little mini, like quadrangular, four teams, and they would play each other type of deal. And he saw me and he started asking questions and he's like, Hey, um, well, why don't you come down and, and, and see if you can make it a Cruz Azul. Long story short, I spent like four and a half months there just training, 
because I didn't have my Mexican passport, but they kept me around. They're like, hey, we're interested. So I, I trained in the second division team. Uh, I lived in this Casa Club um, right behind La Noria, which the facilities are. And it was like an amazing setup. And I got like, like my first taste of what like actual professional football was about. And I just got hooked. I was like, all right, I got to make it somehow. So it was like, literally just like, I don't make it here. I got to go somewhere else. And it was like backpacking around, bouncing around until I, I found a team. We want to take a quick break from the video to shout out our sponsor, BET Online. They continue to be the number one site for all your betting needs. Don't forget the NBA playoffs are going on right now. Who do y'all have winning the NBA finals? I got my hometown Mavs and Luka going all the way. But uh, on a serious note, make sure to go to your mobile desktop. Check out BETonline.com and use the code BELIEVE for 50% off your welcome bonus. That's B-L-E-A-V for 50% off. Amazing. I mean, me and uh, me and Tan have some connections there because we both in our last year academy played at Pachuca, played at La Noria, and Tan and me for a little bit. Mostly Tan lived at a Casa Club when we were playing for FC Dallas, so I, I think we know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, but what were those? Let me ask you a question, Tan. Like, what were the? What was that Casa Club? Like, what was that little clubhouse like when you guys were at FC Dallas? You know, it wasn't a. It wasn't like as bad as you probably think, but it definitely, you know, it was literally, I mean, it got worse at times, but it was literally just a house and we had like one living, living area and we had three bedrooms, only three bedrooms, like two person bedrooms. And we had about like 10 guys living there or like seven always at least, but up to like 10, we had three bedrooms, two bathrooms. How, how old were you? So I was 14 when I moved there. And we had guys that were 20 when I moved there. But then the next year, everybody was like the same age, pretty much like 15, 17. And then uh, but the the first two years I was there, we didn't even have a car. So like if we wanted to go anywhere, we had to call our friends to pick us up or walk to training. So, yeah, it was interesting for sure. See, that's insane to me because because you're 14. I'm, you know, when I was 14 and I have it because of a report card, I went to this uh, I went to this uh soccer like camp um you guys have you guys know who joe mackinick is he, he does like the uh referee analysis for fox um he, dr joe mackinick no. he's the old guy who does the referee analysis for fox soccer like you you've seen him i guarantee you just don't you just don't okay. know anyways this yeah. guy this guy used to run these soccer camps in long beach and they're famous number one striker camps and i went and i remember the report card and it had my weight and height that's my freshman year i was 14 years old and i weighed i weighed 78 pounds no 68 pounds 68 pounds and i was 411 okay and so I, I could imagine me being 14 with with grown men living like yeah that would be a grown, disaster yeah. grown men from like they don't speak english from like all parts of south <laughs> africa uh, south america That's, yeah that and there was insane. times as well we we'd come home and we had trialists come a bunch you know all age groups in the academy and when trialists would come, they would stay at Costco Club. Like, they would just say, all right, like, whoever it was, Josema, Lucci, would just be like, all right, figure out where to put them. So we came home one day, and there's two guys from Africa on my bed. Yeah. Like, I'm just – well, it's, like, unbelievable, the stories. But, you know, it, you know, it creates you – you know, it makes you grow up fast and and get in touch with – a Dude, you know, it's yeah. – it's, uh, it's Lord of the Fly – it's a Lord of the Flies mentality. You know, and, and it's, it's a crazy book about like these kids who get stranded on an island. They're just kids and then they have to govern themselves and everything comes with it. Like I learned that very quickly. Like uh, 
it, it wises you up, it smartens you up, but it also kind of makes you appreciate like what you have. You know, I, I came from a, like, definitely not, I would say a privileged background, but going from a situation where um, I'm very comfortable um, and I mean that in the sense that I have a roof over my head, I have a family, you know, I, I play soccer because I like to play soccer to an element where like now it's very cutthroat. Like these guys are, are, are fighting for actual jobs and, and they're, they're trying to like provide for their families and they're 15, 16, 17 years old. Like that was jawing to me. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about, you said you, you didn't have your Mexican passport when you were no. 17, 18. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get it until I was about 18. Yeah. So like when you grow up, um, were you being like, would you say you're being raised like in a, like in a Mexican household or like more like American? That's a good question because I would say Mexican, right? But then I go to Mexico and I realize like, oh, there's a different way of, of the culture and it's beautiful, but it's not like the way I was accustomed to being raised. And and I could have like certain, um, things from my heritage that my parents brought down or passed along, et cetera. But I was still, I was very American. So everything was like, you know, crazy to see. Like a lot of it was like, wow, I've never experienced this. Um, and, and also I, I realized like, I thought I'd so Spanish. And I realized when I got down there, like, I don't really speak Spanish like, like they do. And then what I, what I mean is like, um, you guys ever seen movies and in Hollywood, how they portray the English and they do like rhyme cockney like double meaning for all their, so, so in Spanish, yeah, there's yeah. albur. There's like a double uh, meaning uh, and it's usually like a sexual innuendo, innuendo w- with, their, with their language and they speak it so fast and they do it so quickly and it's so like wit and smart. I was completely lost. Like I'm like, I had no way of communicating with my teammates in a way where I felt like normal because they were like on a different level of their communication and a different language it felt. Uh, so it made me realize like, yeah, I, I grew up Mexican, you know, I did a lot of things like normal Mexican Chicano kids do in the States, but I didn't do a lot of things like normal Mexicans, you know, kids did in Mexico. So did you grow up supporting the Mexican team or, or the U.S. team? That's a good, you know, that's, that's a good thing uh, to bring up because I grew up supporting both and it was natural to me, you know, like I didn't feel like it was di- like weird, back then right? I didn't feel like it was different. It feels like now it's very much marked. Um but back then, I mean, it, it's making me sound old, but MLS came around 1996. So the first time I saw, I saw a professional game up close and personal was 1996, you know, 1997 in LA. We went to go play a tournament and got to catch Columbus Crew versus the LA Galaxy at the Rose Bowl. I was like the first time I've ever been introduced to like professional soccer. Besides that, it's what I see on TV. So my, you know, my dad watched Mexican national team. So I watched Mexican national team. But the U.S. national team was on and we had connections because my we used to live in Southern Cal for a bit. And my dad like would go and do business with Eric Winalda's dad. And he was like, hey, look, Winalda comes from like literally the same place you come from. So does Kobe Jones. So I had like that kind of connection. So I felt invested in that way as well. So I grew up watching like with Blanco, Luis Garcia, Sage. But I'd also like see Kobe Jones, you know, Eric Winalda. Marcelo Balboa like it was crazy man I didn't really think anything of it and now it's it's very much like a a heated rivalry back then it wasn't a rivalry back then it was Mexico you know spanking that ass in the U.S. like six seven zero like that's what it was and it was literally my generation and it's like the Landon Donovan the IMG group like that generation like Demarcus Beasley that started 
you know, the turning of the tides in the early 2000s. And now it's a massive rivalry. But back then when I was growing up, just watching them, it was just beginning. So I really didn't feel like I had to pick or choose. So, you know, I guess in that point or from that stance, I'm lucky because I got to enjoy both. I feel like now gets very murky. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, Johan, you, you feel this at times like now, or when I was playing in Mexico, I should say, I I got a lot of like, how do you play for the U.S.? You know, like you're Mexican, you know, and then even coming back to camp, sometimes I get a lot of like, are you sympathizing with this type of deal? It felt like I was stuck in the middle. Yeah, because we we want to talk about this as well, like the decision now with players um, having to decide between Mexico and the U.S. and even any country, but just the Mexico and U.S. is I find it really difficult, but I guess what you're saying is you didn't have that, that, that choice wasn't there when you were playing, like to choose Mexico or the U.S., was it? Not really. I mean, I think it was Martin Vasquez was the first one who ever really had to make that decision, you know, and he played for both national teams. And then it was Edgar Castillo, Homie Castillo, who's by the way, is unbelievable personality. Like if you ever got, like, if you ever spoke honestly about his life and his, and his career, you guys would be, it'd be a book. But those were like the first guys who ever really had a, a choice, you know, whoever really considered good enough. I mean, when I had a good year in 2005 um, and I scored a bunch of goals, we won uh, a couple tournaments, the Open Cup and the MLS Cup. And I was like 21, 22 years old. And, and an assistant coach that I had in a second division team that I played for in Puebla uh, was Olaf Heredia, who is now the assistant coach for Hugo Sanchez uh, of the Mexican national team. And they had wanted to bring me down to um, the Pan American Games of the Mexican national team, which is a U23 team. And Olaf calls me and discusses like the possibilities of me joining them. And, you know, I was like, hey, I appreciate it. And it was definitely something that was like, oh, what would that be like? But I was scoring all these goals and I was like, I've got the U23 Mexican national team like barking up my three, tree, but I, I'm scoring a lot of goals. like. First division soccer, certainly like Bruce Arena may give me a shout, right? I'm kind of like the flavor of, of the month here. I'm kind of like the, the next up and coming kid right here in Major League Soccer at this moment. So, you know, and everything I'd ever known when I explained it to him, like everything I ever known, had ever known is in the U.S. I was born here, educated here, my friends here. Even the, the sense of being Chicano is a U.S. thing. Like that's very much a U.S. thing. Chicanos don't, don't really exist in, in Mexico. And you know, I had an honest discussion with myself, you know, internally and thought about it like a lot. And there would be nothing wrong with me playing for the Mexican national team, but it just didn't feel like that's where my path was. So, you know, I, I was fortunate in the fact that I made that decision pretty quickly uh, with myself. I, and also being honest, like I didn't have the attention these kids had. Like, think about this for a second. I'm lucky in this sense. I had a difficult career financially until I broke out in Mexico. And then it's like my eyes opened and I'm getting like crazy offers and I'm getting crazy streams of revenue I thought I'd never have. And things are very easy of what I need to do because I need to make up ground, because I need to secure my future, because I need to do this. But if I was 21 years old today, and for example, that year in 2005, um, I played half a season. I started playing... um, end of June, mid-June, because Landon Donovan, Jovan Karaski, uh, a couple guys went to the Gold Cup. Um, so I started playing then. 
I was our team MVP as a developmental player on a team that won two trophies, a, 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 an Open Cup and an MLS Cup. I scored like total that year, like 22 goals in between Open Cup, uh, MLS and all that stuff. If that happened today, I'd be on the radar of some of the biggest teams in the world. And literally the way the fans are today, which is massive and sophisticated and, and put so much attention, I don't know where my head would be. I'd probably get lost in my own shit, you know, and that's 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 probably not a good thing. So I was fortunate that that happened in that era, and it was so clear to me like what I wanted, and it wasn't diluted by either fan base throwing like you know, false promises or either federation trying to sell me on something. It was just me, so I'm lucky in that sense. Yeah, you're talking about false promises and stuff like that. I, I'm sure you've heard of the obviously. You know, uh, we're not gonna go into it, but the Marcelo Flores stuff and things like that. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. ask you. A, I'm gonna ask you two pronged question. So, what advice would you give to any dual national going into that decision? And uh, what's your advice to any Mexican Americans and Latino dual nats in U.S. programs now? Okay, what advice would I give to any player going into a decision like that? Um, first and foremost is, what do you want? Um, because nobody else can decide that for you. Not your uncle, not your father, uh, not a coach who you feel indebted to because you grew up and, and you think they gave you a chance. Um, not a federation that maybe props up a nice little project for you, a nice little PowerPoint and says, we see you here. This is where you could be for us. This is what the program looks for us, et cetera, et cetera. Like, don't get blinded by the, the shimmer, the lights. Um, what do you want? And, and that could mean many things because um, it's, it's a decision that you have to be very careful how you go about expressing said decision, most importantly, um, because either way, uh, there's going to be a side that's offended. Offended is the key word here. Like nobody's going to understand you. There's going to be somebody out there and it could be some idiot and it doesn't matter what they think. But, but the reality is there's somebody out there who thinks you're a traitor of in the patria, you know, uh, who thinks, well, good riddance, et cetera, et cetera. You, you've got to block out all that noise and, and pick what you want, whether that be the opportunity, whether that be because you feel more one way or another, which is a strange thing for me to say, because I don't think like it's an internal struggle. Like I don't feel more American than I do Mexican. I feel Chicano. And that means like, I, I understand both. I relate to both. So it, it's just being honest with yourself. And as far as dual nationals, like I would like to get in really quickly into the Marcelo Flores thing, because uh, with dual nationals, you have to be an American dual national. You have to be very, very careful. And he he actually made one of these cardinal mistakes. And, and I, I feel bad for him because there was nobody there to protect him. He's like 17, 18 years old. Um, Spanish isn't his strongest language. English is his strongest language. And he gets propped up into a camera and they ask him about Canada and Mexico in the World Cup. And I don't think he expressed himself like he would want to. Um, he says that if Mexico offered him the chance to play for the World Cup, he would play. But so would he with Canada. And fans, pundits, um, people of all sorts in, the, in this game took that the wrong way and I think it puts a lot of internal pressure on him and now he's and this is my personal feeling because that could be confusing so as a dual national um, I would say 
keep your cards to keep your cards very uh, held tightly to your vest. Like don't show your cards um, because they could be misconstrued. They could be taken out of context and you're going to hurt yourself in the long run. Uh, nobody will ever understand because either they don't want to or they just can't. The love and appreciation you have for two certain countries or two different countries, two different cultures, uh, what you've experienced, what you've gone through and what you want in your future. So until you know for sure, just keep them to, your, to yourself, you know, keep, keep that tight. And that's pretty good advice. I mean, I think for sure, you know, if, if something out, it goes out too early that, you know, they get a lot of messages, a lot of hate comments from one side and it can be tough. It can be tough for sure. But obviously you play with the U S um, had a great career with the U S world cups, uh, played a lot of teams uh, uh, around the world and played a lot of great players, but it's a new generation. And uh, the, the U S is qualified for the world cup this year. So uh, congrats to the boys, but um we want to hear your starting 11 versus England in the 2022 World Cup for the U.S. Ooh. Wow. All right. Um, you're going to get me in trouble with two spots because I, I, I'm i not sure on two spots. Um, Only two spots. Yeah, I think I'm not sure on, on two spots. And, and the third spot that I'm not sure on is, is because of injury. Um, but uh, goalkeeper, let's assume everybody's healthy. Okay. Yep. Goalkeeper, um, whew. I think right now, even though Zach Steffen's hurting, I would still give it a Zach Steffen. Um, and I think Greg would as well. I just think he's a more complete goalkeeper. Um, but you can't go wrong with Matt Turner. Uh, then it's uh, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson. I think Walker's been massive for the U.S. men's national team and, and kind of bummed he didn't leave. Uh, Major League Soccer um, from LAFC. I thought I thought he had uh, that capability, and and who knows what have would have been out of that because he's got some crazy intangibles, and I think he's actually better on the ball than, than people give him credit for. Miles Robinson uh, on the right hand side, Serginho Dest on the left hand side, Anthony Robinson, uh, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and I would go Giovanni Reina if Gio's um, if Gio's physically fit. So it'd be Gio Reina. Uh, and then up top, um, on one side, I'd have uh, Christian Pulisic. On the other side, I would have Brendan Aronson. Just think he's he's been that type of player where, like, you put him in, you give him a consistent run, he gives you goals, he gives you assists. Like, it's very difficult to take somebody like that out. And here's where it gets tricky. Um, you guys are talking to a guy that played zero minutes in a World Cup qualifying cycle and made it to the World Cup and started arguably the most important game in World Cup history, you know? Um, and I was one of three guys that either didn't play any minutes or had very little, um, I guess, appearances in what was that World Cup cycle at the ninth position, Robbie Finley and Edson Buttle. So I kind of see a lot of similarities there. Like a guy like Haji Wright could end up, you know, getting his getting onto the u.s men's national team and find himself in a world cup um that's how these things are but right now uh it's so crazy that there is no nine like i can't sit here and say ricardo pepe he hasn't scored in like almost six months you know i can't sit here and say josh Sargent. he hasn't even played as a nine he plays out wide for no he plays as a winger um jordan peepa keeps scoring goals 
at the club level hasn't really got a decent run at the national team level. We haven't really seen him as a national team player, you know, um, with that opportunity. And you got Daryl DK who can't stay fit. You know, uh, I'm trying to think who else has seen position time of that position. Jesse's artist. I mean, you, you just saw Caleb Porter's comments on him pretty much saying he's finished at 30, which I think is crazy. Like what a way to throw your player under the bus, but you know, who do you give that nine position to? So I think it's so wide open. You know, that's really the only position I would say, like, I have no idea. Well, let me interrupt you real quick because we got a, a great question from one of our fans asking, do we need a nine? Because you see teams like Man City, Liverpool have tremendous success. Obviously, that's a system and the coaches have it very well run and they have quality players there. But can we run with maybe a false nine and still have some kind of success? Um, you can, I don't know how much success you're going to have running a false line against teams like, uh, England, let's say it's a Wells. Um, I don't know how much success you will have. Uh, I think the best this U S men's national team has been under Greg Berhalter. It's when it's fast in transition, when it's precise with their touches. Um, usually you, you, you deploy a false nine when when you're going to have a lot of the ball and, and that guy's going to drop deep and, and you're going to be in the final third and you're going to have to break down low blocks. Like a false nine is good for that. Um, but if moments of, of needing an outlet, of finding somebody in transition, somebody who's good with their movements, like it's good to have a forward. It's good to have somebody who's natural. Like Jesus Ferreira is probably the most natural false nine that you can have. Um, and the reason he's so good is because he's so intelligent with the ball at his feet and with his movements. Um, that's about as much of a false nine as I think we can go or you could go. Because if you start thinking Christian Pulisic, I know that's a name that people have thrown out there. If you start thinking that's a false nine, like having him back to go, having him anywhere that's not outside cutting in or with the freedom to kind of roam from from a wide position, I, I think it's just limiting his, his uh, impact on the game. So you can. Um, you can get away with it, sure, but I don't think it's necessarily what you would want to do. I think it's interesting you put, uh, you know, two MLS center backs. I think I think a lot of people will comment on that. Um, obviously, we got center backs elsewhere. What you you just like that combo? I, I know they've done well together, but what is it? What is it there? Yeah, that's who's done well together. Um, I mean, I believe they had six straight games posting a shutout and World Cup qualifying. You could say people could say whatever they want about the competition of, of, of what they think. Um, but that's that's the reality. I mean, they they played and did well together. And if you look at other center backs in the position, uh, Chris Richards has been oft injured, uh, hasn't really played too much with the U.S. Men's National Team. And you have uh, Mark McKenzie, who hasn't really shined too much with the U.S. Men's National Team. He's had a few individual uh, errors I'm sure he would like back. Um, Tecate Corona stripping him and then scoring in the Nations League, in the CONCACAF Nations League final, et cetera, things like that. Uh, John Brooks is in the picture. Um, Cameron Carter-Vickers isn't really in the picture. Um, what else we got? I mean, it's, it's just like, I, I don't really think it's, it's too big of a question there. Um, I, I will say I've called the, quite a few Atlanta games this season. And I have not been thoroughly impressed with, with their center backs. And Miles Robinson has been one of their center backs. And I'm not too sure if it's because um, 
they're hitting this wall, you know, where it's mental and physical fatigue and it's just kind of rolled on into the season or if it has more to do with Atlanta and how much they are a mess right now. Um, but yeah, uh, those would be my two go-to guys. It's funny because if you would have told me a year ago that Walker Zimmerman is the best center back right now, I probably would have been, that's, well, that's an interesting comment to make. But here we are. Here we are. Yeah, for sure. And it goes to show the quality of the players in MLS now. I mean, the, the league has changed and grown so, so much. But this is this kind of an on-the-spot question that we recently just came up with literally a couple minutes before you got on. Who would you say is the best USMNT player in five years' time? Oh, man. Bearing health, I think it's Gio Reyna. Um, I don't think anybody has a ceiling like Giovanni Reyna. Um, not even Pulisic. Um He's just so nasty on the ball, and he's got, like, this attitude, this little snarl about him. He's got, like, Clint Dempsey, Clint Dempsey vibes to him, and Clint was, like, Clint was a motherfucker. Like, Clint was a guy who walked in the locker room, and you had no idea if you were on his good side or bad side that day, if he would smile to you, shake your hand, or whatever. Um, if on the field, he was going to fight you. But he was a guy like you wanted in the game. He was a guy like, that's who I want as my team. That's who I want in a big game. That's who I want in a, in a tough moment. Um. He, you know, Gio gives me that same type of vibe, but he's clean. He's got finesse to him. You know, he's got this, this like arrogance about his game that I love. Um, you could play him in the middle as an eight. You can play him as a 10. You could play him out wide as a winger, you know, whatever you'd like. I just think he's smart enough to get away with it. 1v1 combining. He's got a very good vision, very soft beat. Um, he's just honestly one of the players I very much enjoy covering uh and it's a shame that he can't stay fit because uh he's definitely a talent but he's health aside you know bearing health I, I think five years from now that's the best U.S. Miss national team player I think that seems to be the general consensus I think I mean most people will keep it between Pulisic or Reyna which I yeah. think obviously like you said health is a big big factor uh you guys played against these guys. You tell me, like, you know, I, I'm always interested in to hear it because because it, it's, 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 you know how it is. Um, people will ask you guys about players and sometimes they have a false perception of players because you get to see them day in, day out. Like you guys have been in camps with them. You guys have broken bread with them. You guys have, have seen their tendencies. Like what's for you guys? I mean, this is a question for both. Like you don't have to get into why, but who, who would be the best player five years from now? I mean, I think there's a difference, though, between, like, best player and, like, most important player in the team. Right. And, yeah, I think – I mean, I think best player, the qualities, um, goal scoring, you know, that that, men, that mentality, I think Gio could be up there for sure. But best – like, most important player, I'm not too sure it would be – it would be Gio. But uh, I think I could agree with you on him being, like, the best player in five years. You know, he has the – I think he has a very high potential if he keeps on the same road and if, and if he can stay healthy. You know, I remember something about Gio. Um, I mean, I think his first ever, my first ever U16 camp back then was like his first ever U16 camp, but playing up. So he was a bit shy then. He wasn't, you know, had the personality that he has now. But one thing I remember is New York City played FC Dallas. I don't know if you, I think Tan, you were there too. And it was an older team. It was OOs. Yeah. And uh, obviously the stack teams on both sides, Geo, I think James Sands, obviously Chris Richards on our side, Thomas Roberts, like all these players, Cappies. And um, 
Gio breaks through when he goes one-on-one with Chris Richards. Obviously, Chris being Chris is a great defender. I don't know if you remember this, Tan, but we're yeah, directly yeah, behind. And um, Matt just hit him with a double scissors. Nasty. Completely, you know, just blows by him and scores and just leaves the keeper, like, straight. And that keeper's also a pro now, too. So that's – and I was like, uh, he's just different. You knew. Yeah, he's different. <laughs> yeah, you and, knew and, and Chris knew. Uh, <laughs> hey, Chris, Chris will say now he'll – I know Chris and Chris and me are good friends. He's been on the podcast as well. So we can't be dogging it too much on, but, uh, no, no, I'm not dogging him. <laughs> no, 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 no. But Chris will say like, Chris will say like any defender, like any attacker in the world, like has no chance. Like he, like he's quality. Like he, tr- like Chris believes in himself hundred percent. And after that, like, uh, experience, I don't think Chris has ever faced anybody in the Academy like that for sure. He hasn't. And he's never been done like that before. And I think Chris knew then too, like this guy's a little different as well. So. But I do oh, remember yeah. that. That was a, uh, I remember as well. That was that was when when we got back and uh, <laughs> our coach talked to us. Remember that as well, John? I don't remember that. We've talked a little bit about the national team now. Um, I think we want to go into MLS. We received a lot of fan questions. Obviously, you're very familiar with that league. It's it's grown a lot. Um, but the first question that I had to ask is: If you were playing today, would you rather play in League MX or MLS? If I was playing today, all right. Can I ask you how old I am? I feel like that gives it away though, because if you're young, it's probably. I feel like it'd have to be MLS. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big difference there, right? And, and let's it, say let's say you're like 28. I don't know, 27, 28. Uh, the if I'm 27, 28, I think the experience of Liga Mekis is is massive, especially if you've never had it. Like, like you both are experiencing proper footballing cultures now, and not to say that, well, it is to say that the states and and Canada and MLS is, isn't proper a proper footballing culture on the world's terms like you go outside here if you live in dallas or here i live in you know hermosa beach i'm not going to be consumed by the game everywhere i go it's not going to be on tv everywhere it's not going to be on the local you know newspaper stands in the corner people aren't going to be talking about it as you go by you know walking around the street you guys now live in footballing cultures where that's what it is you're immersed in it that's they eat sleep and breathe that you know um mexico liga mekis is very much like that but like under a microscope times like 100 how massive the attention is the money's good the attention's good the level is very high very technical like part of me which is wishes i i did liga mekis very early on um or had that experience because i would have been a better technical player like it's so un it's like people don't realize how technically gifted these players are and how, how demanding it is technically there and how much you're required to do stuff. A quick little story. I, uh, I played for Tigres um, and this is like up on the rise of when Tigres is starting to become like the Tigres are now. And Ricardo Ferretti is uh, the head coach at the time. And Ricardo Ferretti is like, dude, he's, he's crazy. He's like this old school Brazilian guy who's lived in Mexico forever and you can't tell him anything like he's just very much like I don't know if you guys know who Bobby Knight is is like this basketball coach from back in the day he would like throw chairs onto the like the, the floor and whatnot he's very much of that temperament he, he's he's not a guy you want to cross uh, but he knows his he knows his shit he's one of the best coaches I've ever played for he's very like tactically brilliant and um he was technically gifted and he could strike a ball and he took a liking to me because I could strike a ball uh and when I got there he brings me in one day and he said, Gomez. And I come over and he goes, um, I need you to get better. And I said, okay, I'm 32 at this time. 
And he goes, I need you to come in every morning and you're gonna train with the academy kids before you train with us. I said, excuse me? I'm a World Cup champ, I'm a World Cup champ, excuse me. I'm a World Cup uh, you know, player. I played a club World Cup. I played in a Cup America, won a Gold Cup. I've won in multiple leagues, including the league he's telling me I need to get better in. And I was a goal scoring champion. And he's sitting here and he's telling me he wants me to train with the academy kids before I come and train with the first team. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, every morning for half an hour before we train, these academy kids are going to do technical drills. It's just technical drills. I just want you to do it. And he's like, uh, just do it. Bear with me. And I kind of looked at him like, you're a coach. And he goes, listen, I've had guys, and I didn't tell him any of this stuff, but I played in World Cup and did this and that. And he's like, I've had guys who played in multiple World Cups. I've had guys who have played on the Brazilian National. I have guys, whatever. He goes, they've done this with me. Just do it. All right. So I would go out and I would do that because he wanted his technique, he wanted his technique, his players to have a certain technical ability. So here I'm at 32 years old doing that. So I wish I would have had, you know, that type of, a, I guess, uh, upbringing, um, just because I do feel like, whereas we were very limited, you know, back then and there was no academy. So I felt like when I finally got a, a chance in Mexico, um, like I was lacking in certain, certain elements in my game. Like I'd over, I overcame certain deficiencies and got to where I was, but didn't mean like I didn't have, like those deficiencies still weren't there. So I wish that about my game, that about like Liga, Mekis and MLS. It's a good story. I, I, I like remember some respect. I remember seeing that one video. I think my dad showed me a while ago. I know you know which one I'm talking about where he, I think I'm he's there. Just wearing a, <laughs> you're there. He's wearing the penny. Yeah, he's wearing the penny, and he just goes absolutely crazy. Ten, I'll send you this video later. It's hilarious. But... but uh, oh, you know what the best part of that the video is? So, so it's preseason. It's like thirty seconds preseason in Cancun, and uh, it's hot. It's hot as balls. It's the third session of the day. Our legs are done. The first two sessions are physical. Third session is tactical. And we're doing this finishing drill where it's very simple. Edge of the box, two lines. And one guy takes a touch with his right foot, sends it with his left foot to the side of the edge of the box. And you either bring it down or you hit it first time. Our legs are done. We've got no legs. I'm telling you. We've been at this all week. And we just, it just doesn't look good. And he gets so angry. He yells at one of the younger kids. He's got like a 16-year-old who he brought up because it's preseason. So you've got like U20, U17 players with us. It's like a 40-man, you know, squad for preseason. And this player takes a touch with his right, hits it with his left foot, not his strong foot. And Tuca turns around and it hits him in the back of the head. And he f***ing loses it. Ah, no, it's got to be here. And he starts yelling and he tells a player, send it and the player sends it and the ball comes over and duca who's like 70 something years old hits it and you see the video after like while he's doing this friend he hits it and you're like holy shit this old man like caught all of it Você está copiando, Bolívia. 60 putos, sai de 
No, that was Cicero. Like, how come these guys, how come these kids can't do it? How come these guys can't do it? And here's a seven-year-old and he's yelling, I've got, he's like, I've got pro prothesis, I've got a false hip and I'm doing this. <laughs> so that's the video no. that goes viral. I was there. He hit that for a throw-in. <laughs> that's the best part. He no, really. Everybody thinks he scored a golasso and he hit it for a throw-in. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, no. Nah, he's a character. He's a character, and, and but he's he's very much loved also, um, yeah. in that culture for sure. But uh, going back to MLS, as I said, someone asked a really good question that I think is interesting, and I want to ask you. So now you see M uh, players leaving MLS to go to Europe using that platform. Do you think MLS ever gets to the point where maybe you know those top talented players that aren't quite ready for the big clubs maybe come to MLS and then straight from MLS they make those Real Madrids, make those Manchester Uniteds. You know, do you see that ever happening? Uh, that would mean that Major League Soccer would have to be a very good league, you know, um, and that other teams around the world or other, other leagues around the world would have to see it as a very good league as well. Um, but not that it's not, but there's there has been a certain perception of this league being a good platform and stepping stone to bigger and better, but not necessarily first team to first team. And that's the problem. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, ever? Sure, maybe as the MLS gets better. But a scenario where it's a Ricardo Pepe jumping from MLS to a Real Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea, United? No, I, I think that's very far-fetched because there are very few leagues in the world that do that. You know, the, the, Portu the Portuguese league, La Primera, Eredivisie in Holland, um, probably the lower leagues that have done that but it's very it's very select few who jump to like top clubs immediately you know um and then they're in the big clubs in those leagues do you think that's a i guess there's a lot of problems that need to be fixed for that to ever happen but do you think a major part of that is like the the opportunities you get in like europa league and champions league because like you see players play and then they play well yeah, versus the team a lot of times it happens and they get bought, right? So do you think yeah, this is a thing or do you think it's the, the setup of MLS, like no relegation and things like that? So I'm sure no relegation and, and the seriousness and of, of every game will come into play. Um, and listen, you guys are in a relegation battle right now and you, you, you now know what pro-rel is like. It's, it's not fun. I've been in a pro-rel fight that we, we saved ourselves in the last day of the season, you know, and it's not, it's not a good experience. Um, you can make a lot of money off of it, tell you what you know seems like every week the owner's offering you all kinds of money to try to save his team sure but it's not a fun experience because at the end of the season um team gets relegated people lose jobs not just players not just front office not just you know um people you would think the the value of the franchise goes down so pay will go down the city uh, is dependent on that on that team uh, it's economic structure kind of revolves around around that team and some you know, shape or form uh, in the majority of cities or, or I guess teams around the world that aren't top teams, right? So it, it's not fun. Um, that I'll have something to play with it, sure. But I think the most important thing here is you mentioned that platform. Like these clubs aren't aware of major league soccer clubs. They're aware of major league soccer and they're aware of like the U.S. men's national team and how they're exporting players and how young they are. But they don't necessarily say like, hey, let's go send a scout to L.A. Let's go send a scout here. They find these players via different ways, youth national teams or a certain platform like an Europa League, like a Champions League group phase or whatever. I think those are more 
um, avenues of, of finding success for players or for trying to go abroad than thinking like one day it'll happen just because you're a major league soccer player. Do you think MLS adding teams hurts or helps the league? Um, at this point, um, so a while back, there was an expansion draft and, and a dispersal draft for your expansion draft. And that's, that's where you got the majority of your players. And I would say it would hurt because you're diluting the player pool, right? Um, you're not, you can get to choose one player and then the, the rest get protected on the team. Um, so realistically, uh, the guys who aren't protected are player, I think it's like 10 through the rest. So you're getting not the best players on, on every team. You don't get your choose. So you would dilute the player pool. But now the way these mechanisms are set up, you could start a team from scratch and be very competitive and very good. Look at Atlanta. If you do it the right way and you're willing to invest and you're willing to spend, like they came out flying out the gates, LASE flying out the gates. Um, so you do it the, the right way. You're not going to be like, you're not going to have a coach who says you're screwed, you know? Um, so Charlotte. you go about it. Yeah. You, Miguel Angel Ramirez, you go about it the right way. Uh, so I think it could be good because it's, it's growing the game. Right. Um, that said, um, where do you stop? You know, uh, if you want to be the NFL, well, you got to stop at 32. If you go more, like it's at some point, you're going to start having to institute some sort of pro rel, you know, and, and, and make owners realize like there's just too many teams. Yeah. We got so many teams. It's crazy too. how like being in Europe, people don't realize how big the U S is, but I mean, that definitely plays a right. part into it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I want to, you're talking about a relegation battle and people, you know, losing jobs, maybe, you know, gaining jobs. I don't know. If you don't gain a job when you get relegated, but you know what I mean? Um, obviously, now you transition into after your career and, you know, you're an analyst now. I want to know, how did you get into ESPN? And now we see a lot of analysts maybe becoming coaches after. So if you would consider going into coaching, now that you see the game from a different perspective. Um, so the good thing about me is I see the game from the same perspective. Like, I'm still going to, you know, talk shit. <laughs> so what I see, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll try to be as honest as I can. And honestly, I think I got, so I'm one of the, I, I shouldn't say I'm one of the first because, but I think like my generation was one of the first ex experiencing social media and I kind of put myself out there. And as I put it myself out there, like producers um, for these TV, TV networks or, you know, in general um, magazines, reporters, whatever, uh, you know, this guy's got somewhat of a personality to interview him. And as I got interviewed, my voice, kind of came out there so but, I mean, back in the day players were who for fans the press told them they were if the press said you're this this guy's a dick that's who he was now there's social media like they don't need to go to some guy writing about me to find out who I am they can just follow me on social media and they're going to see videos you're going to see like random thoughts food pictures whatever Instagram TikTok YouTube you know Facebook Twitter, they're going to see me. And I think as that went along my career, they saw a little bit of, of me and they're like, all right, this guy's interesting. And, and it, it literally be, ended up being where um, I did like an MLS. Uh, we, we got eliminated in the playing game when I was in Toronto against Montreal on Wednesday. And MLS invited me to do like a, a studio show because they were doing studio coverage in New York for that weekend. And my wife um, was pregnant at the time. We we're like, yeah, let's go check it out. Free trip to New York. All right, cool. 
checked it out, did it. And from that, I went on vacation. And we're in Torreon, Mexico, where my wife's from, uh, with family. And I get a phone call from a producer at Fox. And he's like, hey, you know, um, interested in talking with you. Are you going to be around the LA area? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, my off season, that's where I stay in LA. It's like, you know, one of the executives, Dave and Neil, would like to talk to you. All right, whatever. Went down and guy sat me down, started talking to me. And after like five minutes, he's like, listen, I like you. He goes, uh, looks at a calendar and he goes, what are you doing this week? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, this, this, these weeks, this month, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I want you to come work up America for us. And I said, well, I'm playing soccer at Seattle Sounders. So at that time, I thought Toronto. Um, and he goes, uh, oh, okay, what about this? And he's like, you guys are having to have a break for like 10 days, 11 days. Can you work that with us? And I was like, all right. So I, I went in and, and, and did uh, one day of studio. And I was like, all right, it was different. Just talking about soccer, talking about, you know, Copa America teams and whatnot, not too, not too crazy. It was like pregame and that was it, you know, uh, post, whatever. It was nothing crazy. The next day was like US, Mexico, da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I had to call a game that was like Panama versus Bolivia off monitor in some room in LA um, with a guy named Mark Falwell who, who actually does the Dallas game. He does the Dallas yeah. play by play. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great, great guy. Um, and I did that game and it was my first game ever first time i'm ever doing a, a color analyst for a game and i was like all oh, right well, that, that was rough but whatever it was cool i guess you know i did fine um the, i'm sorry the next day was usa mexico they played both of them the same day and i worked part of the studio coverage and pre-game finishes and the same exec comes in and he pulls me over and i go uh, yeah and he goes hey um the game you're gonna call tomorrow you're not doing it anymore you're just gonna stay here in studio all week and i'm like damn, I was terrible. <laughs> like this guy just pulled me from calling the games. In my head, I'm like, damn, like I was that bad? Like seriously? And I'm kind of like dumbfounded looking. He's like, you understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, 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 no games. And he's like, yeah, you stay here, okay? And I was like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. And he leaves and the producer had called me, comes over and like, what happened? He wants me not to do the games anymore, just do studio. And he goes, dude, that's great. And I'm like, and he goes, that's a good thing. You want to be here. And that's a good thing. This is where you want to be in this tournament, you know, because I wasn't, I mean, I was like one of like six, seven, you know, guys that are doing the color analyst. But if you're there, you're the main studio guy. So it was like a pecking order. And it made me realize like, this is a good opportunity. And they actually offered me, like the guy told me to retire before I left. Retire, just stay here, finish our tournament with us. I'll give you a job. And I was like, it's not the way I want to go out type of deal. Um, et cetera, et cetera. But because of that, we stayed in touch. And during my time as a player, I'm calling the U.S. men's national team games as a studio analyst. So I'm working every like fixture date, players would go to the national teams. I would go wherever the U.S. men's national team was to work with Fox at that time. And it was a crazy experience because I'm still an active player, you know? So when I go yeah. back to major league soccer, my teammates, it's funny because you walk in a room and they're like, <laughs> cracking jokes and, get, and stuff well not the jokes but things are getting a little quiet because because now they're like shit this guy works on the other side you know so oh, it was yeah, 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 they're yeah, still yeah, cool yeah. with me but it was definitely like an awkward kind of silence of yours. that's, that's gotta be weird man same that's thing with good... uh, tim howard in colorado but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. exactly but that's that's an interesting question because i mean 
me and Sam, obviously, we're still young, but I'm sure, you know, it's an interesting thing for us to look into after we're done also. I mean, we love doing this. So um, I just wanted to ask you, that was more of a personal thing for me. But, um, yeah. you know, mixing in, obviously, you working for ESPN now, you know, doing what I assume you love and having a successful career, playing in a World Cup, all these things, a lot of people would say you're successful. Obviously, our signature question here is defining success. So we want to ask you what your definition of success is and if you think you've achieved it yet. Um, I've not achieved. I've achieved success, yes, because I'm happy, you know, but I've not achieved everything I want to do um, to, to put it blunt. Um, and I've always been about work, not talent. Like where I grew up, where I came from, I wasn't the best player growing up. It wasn't like, yo, look at this kid. This kid's going to go pro one day. Yo, look at this kid. This kid's a baller. It was never that. I had a few things I did very well. I could hit the ball harder than anybody I probably ever met in my life. And I worked hard, you know? Um, and I'm like that today. It's all about work. So I, I want to continue to get better every day. And I want, I hopefully don't want to be a pioneer um, because the pioneers get the arrows, right? And it's the settlers who get the land. Like I, I want, I want to take this somewhere. I don't want to just be the first. I, want, I feel like what we're doing at Football Americas is, is not been seen um, in, this, in the States, you know, in our culture. I, I treat football, soccer without white gloves and give it the ESPN treatment. Give it the, the, the treatment that you would see anywhere else around the world where it's dissected, it's discussed. It's, it's oftentimes not cheer, rah, rah, rah. It, it's real. It's raw. And we want to take it there. Um, and oftentimes that would, that would mean like getting some people angry. I, I try to be as, as uh, impartial as I can. I try to be as fair and honest as I can, but not everybody's going to enjoy this. I'm sure Greg Berhalter doesn't like listening when I call their team soft and he's the reason for it. You know, I, I'm sure Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart don't, don't enjoy our, our takes on what the Federation is not doing well. I'm sure Don Garber and Dan Cordes runs the VP of Major League Soccer, um, don't enjoy how much emphasis we give on the Portland situation, et cetera, et cetera. But we want to give it the same treatment that any other sport in this country gets, serious treatment. And, uh, you know, um, we're, two we're two days a week right now on ESPN Plus, and the way things are going, we may have more days, and, and it's going to become even more of a full-time job. I got a full-time job in Spanish. I do a, a weekly sports show Monday through Friday in Spanish, and it's all sports. So this is a lot on my plate, but I want to keep getting better. Like I want to take this somewhere. And, and honestly, it's, it's cool because you guys are kind of proof of, of like this new generation, you know, um, you guys aren't the first to do a podcast, you know, um, but you're doing it now. Guys who have done the podcast do it when they're getting closer to the end of their years, when they start seeing what's on the other side and maybe what they can experience. You guys are doing it now because you like it and you guys are getting great content because you're players, because players trust you, they relate to you, and that's valuable. Um, and you're getting a, a valuable experience at a very young age. Um, so more power to you guys. Uh, but that's definitely, um, if we're going talking about success, uh, I'm successful because I've got everything I want as far as my family and, and, and I have a dream job, but I'm not as successful as I'd like because I still wanna work more. Congrats, by the way. Congrats on Football Americas. I've seen its growth. And yeah, it's a great Thank answer. You. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. It's beautiful, that. actually. I mean, 
I think you define it well, happiness and having what you want, but there's always more to get. And as life progresses, there are different opportunities and different things that, you know, you see yourself doing. So the dream always continues, but. uh, yeah. If you ain't hungry, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're dying. So, you know, Facts. keep that in mind. So it's a, uh, you, you guys, like you guys one. are young and, and you guys are, you guys are way ahead. I mean, how old are you guys right now? 20. We're both 20. 20, man. When I, when I was 20, I was playing D3 um, for the sand. No, I'm sorry. I was already the Galaxy. Um, I was the Galaxy. It was 2003, and I had gotten waived that year. Or 2004, and I had gotten waived that year. I got waived because uh, they didn't see me as somebody, as a player who could be there for the future. Um, and I was the youngest player on the team by like two, three years. You know, everybody else was coming out of college, 22, 23. There, were, there weren't these kids like you guys going abroad and, and making names for themselves um, at any level. So you guys are way ahead of the curve. Yeah, man. Appreciate Times that. have changed, though. Times have changed. Maybe back in the day, you would have been, you would have been, a diff- it would have been a different story, huh? Maybe, but maybe back in the day, I wouldn't even got noticed. I mean, um, I didn't do ODP. Um, I didn't do college. Uh, wasn't Generation Adidas. I wasn't in an academy. So who knows, you know? More maybe power to you, though. More power to you that you did it without that. Yeah, but may, I could have been one of these Alianza kids. Um, and it's a very hard ro- like road to go down. Um, who knows how, because for all the success stories, and you guys know how this is, for all the success stories, there's always like hundreds more. You're like, man, I can't believe that kid didn't make it, you know? Yeah. True, true. Tan, you want to ask uh, who he wants to see on? Yeah, so also in Chump Chat, we always ask, and this is a little different because usually we ask players because we have a lot of players on, and they, you know, they reference another player um, or their friend or, you know, someone that they like that has a good personality. But you've been around and you've made a lot of friends with different teams and different connections, coaches, ex-coaches, analysts, people working different jobs and such. So our question is, is who do you want to see next on Chump Chat? Al Beckerman. That's easy. Kyle Berkham is one of my favorite personalities uh, on planet Earth, um, especially in the soccer world and the footballing world. And he's hands down the best shit talker um, I have ever experienced in the game. Uh, Put anybody to shame. Uh, He once called Christian Roldan a JV player. uh, And we were just even Roldan had a chuckle. Like it was it was one of the funniest things I ever heard in my life. And he was one of the few guys while I was still like active player working for the press that man. The only guy actually that talked shit to me, like Fuck you, go do TV, get the fuck out of here. You know, like it was one of those things. Like I respected it, and he's and he's a great guy. He was my teammate on the national team. He's an absolute gem of a person, and he's got stories for days. Like this guy has lived it all. He's played over 500 games, you know, in Major League Soccer. I mean, he was the original teenager playing in Major League Soccer. He's he was Tampa Bay mutiny, you know, like. He's seen it all. He was Bradenton Academy with with Landon and Demarcus. Like this guy's been around. He's got stories. If you guys could get him, that'd be an awesome find because this guy is a great talker and he's a hell of a person. We appreciate chat. that. We'll definitely uh, we'll work our Chum Chat magic and don't forget the Chum Chat blessing is in store. So those goals you were talking about reaching and things you want to do, Can Chum Chat blessing. Just so you know. But uh, no, we appreciate you having on. Obviously, maybe we'll be in touch more more episodes to come down the line, but. We really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, and, boys. And hopping on. Yeah, it was a lot I, of fun. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, just real quick before I do an outro, um, this is something I was reading your Wikipedia, and I don't know if this is true, but whoever um, did that hates me, by the way. Whoever did my Wikipedia hates me, by the way. It's like the most limited Wikipedia page out there. They literally hate me. Well, <laughs> I thought it was pretty extensive, <laughs> but I'm sure there can be a lot more. But anyway, I saw that I don't know if this is true, and I don't know if you remember this, but it said that you got traded alongside Ugo, uh, Ugo Ikemelo. Yeah, I was gonna ask boy. you. So I he was I, I was gonna ask you if you know what he's up to because he was my he spent some time with the FC Dallas Academy. He was my U13 coach at no FC way. Dallas. So I swear best, I love my him. best friend, man. So Ugo Kamalu uh and Troy Roberts are two defenders that I lived with when I played for the LA Galaxy. And we all lived in the house in Redondo when we were like in a 21, 22, 23 age, which was bonkers, but amazing. And they're my best friends today. Troy's a cop now in Northern California. Ugo lives in Costa Rica. Pandemic hit, he and his wife bounced to Costa Rica. My man lives a great life in Costa Rica. They just built a house, he and his wife and their two kids. Uh, I talk to them all the time, uh, like weekly. Uh, they come out and, and visit us here. We're trying to go out and visit them there. But that's my brother from another. Uh, and the one great thing about Ugo is you've seen Ugo. Ugo's ripped. Ugo's yeah. massive and he's ripped. He's never worked out a day in his life. Like, doesn't do anything. Eats what he wants. Doesn't work out a day in his life. And the guy is, like, massively ripped. It's, like, unfair to the rest of us. But he's, like, the most awesome guy you could ever meet. But he's in Costa Rica right now living the life. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I just saw that. And I – because I had forgotten, but I loved him. He was only here for a couple months, but I remember he took a liking to me. So, I I mean, hopefully he remembers me. But, yeah, I remember we made it to Dallas. Yeah, we made it to Dallas Cup final. And – um. Yeah, he was like, he pulled me aside and he was like, uh, you're going to score this game. Uh, long story short, I didn't score, but it, it gave me some belief. So I was like, shout, shout out to him. Yeah, uh, yeah I loved people. him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, it's Lucci's boy too. Yeah. But um, anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Chum Chat. Hercules Gomez is a fire episode. Thank you so much for joining. And if you guys enjoyed the content, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And as we always say, go find your own success. Deuces. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.